after answering some questions about baptism last week, I wanted to answer some questions about repentance. You see, when Jesus came, as I read that scripture during breaking of bread, Jesus described this prophetic kingdom that he was bringing, this kingdom of good news to the poor, this kingdom of emotional and physical healing for the broken, this kingdom of freedom for the captives and addicts, a kingdom of light for the confused and searching, a kingdom of justice for those who've been wronged, a kingdom of joy for the downcast, a kingdom of righteousness for the guilty and the shamed. And he spoke of this incredible kingdom. And and when he preached, he said, you know, the kingdom is coming. But before he mentioned that, he used this one powerful word. And he said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And the centrality of Jesus' message was to prepare us and direct us so that we can step through this doorway out of the kingdom of the world into his glorious kingdom of joy and victory and righteousness. And my concern sometimes is, is we've taken a beautiful big word that carries so much power, that should release the power of the gospel into our lives, and we've turned repentance into sorry, Lord, which it's not. And so what I want to do this morning is just open up this word, not a heavy word, but a powerful word. Someone came to me after, after preaching last week. And they shared a a dream they felt God had specifically spoken so vividly, not just for us as a church, but for the church in general. And and the heart of the word was simply this, where are the tears? No tears of conviction, no tears of repentance, no tears of compassion, no tears of joy, only hardened hearts. Now, I heard that word and it, it struck a chord inside of me. Now, I'm not that teary kind of person. And I'm definitely not that pretense person. And yet at the same time, it's, Lord, have our our hearts become hard in some way that we just hear your word, hear your word, or is your word still able to penetrate us deeply? Is there sometimes that emotional response when we cut to the heart? I was reminded because just that week I'd been reading about the Apostle Paul as he was speaking to the church in Ephesus to the leaders, and he said in Acts 20 verse 19, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears. And I felt convicted, Lord, am I, am I serving you with, with tears? Am I allowing your word still to penetrate me deeply? And so my intention today is to trust that as I speak, the Holy Spirit would come and do surgery inside of us. Someone once said this. They said, soft words end up producing hard hearts, but hard words produce soft hearts. Now, my intention is not to to preach hard words, but at the same time, Lord, would you allow your word to cut us open, to take away anything that's hindering the Holy Spirit from working in our lives? So let's dive in. Questions about repentance. First question, of course, is what exactly is this word? Repentance is not a word that we would commonly use in English. It's kind of a church word, a Bible word, not an everyday English word. So The Greek word is the word metanoia, which simply means to repent, to change any or all of the elements composing one's life. That means your attitudes, thoughts, and behaviors concerning the demands of God for right living. So there is this sense of of change, of turning from one to another. But the amazing thing, it's it's not just a horizontal turn. 
That word metanoia, that, that word meta, if you, and I'm sure every single one of us in this room have either Facebook or WhatsApp or Instagram or probably all three on your phone, and all of those, company, all of those programs are designed by a company called Meta. Now, why meta? Because we're talking about metanoia here. Met- Mark Zuckerberg, who owns that company, he said he liked meta because it's a Greek word that symbolizes there's always more to build. In the Greek, meta means after or beyond. So, so metanoia, it's not just turn from here to here. It's turn from here to something bigger, something grander, something beyond. In fact, that word repent, pent, is that word we'd use for like a penthouse, which is always the top floor of a building. So it's not just a horizontal change. It's kind of from, from worldly kingdom to God's higher kingdom. Something beyond, something greater. Remember Isaiah 55 verse 9, it says, As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts higher than your thoughts. There's a sense of of upgrading our thinking from worldly thinking. I want to think like heaven. I want to think God's thoughts. I want to align my life, not just with a worldly pragmatic wisdom, but with the wisdom of God. I'm convinced that's where Paul the apostle who wrote the book of Romans and, and the famous verse in Romans 12 too, he said, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's rooted in this word, metanoid, change. Renew your mind, make it new, upgrade, higher. Jesus, we wanna think your thoughts. We wanna think God's thoughts, his ways are higher. Someone once taught me this, birds fly, fish swim, Christians Repent. It's what we do. It should be our most natural as a born-again believer. We want to live lives, not just repenting when you get saved, but lives of constantly repenting, constantly turning more and more towards God and His ways. So why should we repent then? Let me give you six quick reasons as I just... They're all here, right in the Bible. Number one, why repent? Number one, and I don't know why all the peas just came to the surface. Number one, because it's prophetic, John the baptizer, when he came with his ministry, he preached this message in Matthew 3, verses 1, 2, 3, it's 1 and 2. It says, in those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And his message, he was a prophet, and prophetically, how do we prepare our lives for God's kingdom? It's through this thing called Repentance. Repentance, turning our hearts, inclining our hearts towards God, prepares us for this amazing kingdom, this kingdom of good news to the poor, of healing for the broken, of joy for the downcast. We prepare for that kingdom prophetically by turning our hearts, our minds, our thinking towards Jesus. Let me give you an example of of what this prophetic thinking means. Let's say your heart was stirred. I want to be a generous person. I want to live a life of generosity. Well, worldly thinking would be, that's great. So so what I'm going to do is as I start getting more, I'm going to start giving more. Makes sense, right? But you see, that's not the kingdom of God. To upgrade, to repent in our thinking, to turn to God's way of thinking, Jesus said this, give and it will be given to you. So so in other words, in the kingdom of God, you you prophesy, no, no, if I want to be a more generous person, I don't wait to get more, to give more. I give more and God gives me more. Does that make sense? In other words, I want just to catch the heart of repentant thinking. I'm leaving the ways of the world and I want to think God's thoughts. So number one is prophetic. Number two, to release power. 
When Jesus began his ministry, Mark 1 verses 14 and 15 after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. In other words, if we want to walk in power, we've got to step into the kingdom of God through the doorway of repentance. First we step in in faith and then the power of God follows us. Once again, we, we, would, we would love to be in the boat, put our foot on the water. Yes, I can feel the water's hard. Let me step in. But Jesus said to Peter, no, 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 just jump on and the water will hold you. Now, everything inside of us, in fact, I remember, big mistake. But uh, remember when they built the skateboard park down at the beach? Some of you will remember all those. And, and at that time, uh, my kids were kind of that age. Dad, we want to go to the skate park. And being that dad who doesn't realize he's not as young as he used to be, it's like, I know how to skateboard. And, and if you've ever dropped into one of those half poppy type things, and I'm not a skateboarder, you, you stand on the edge with your skateboard, and th- there's no half measure. You see, the way it's designed is you have to lean in completely, and as you lean in, the skateboard will take you. Everything inside of you, and I can testify, wants to lean back big mistake, and your bum and then your head feel it, because whoops, that's what I, you've got to lean in, and Jesus said, if you want, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near, you've got to lean into the kingdom if you want the power of the kingdom to flow. The third reason, it's prophetic power, so you don't perish. In Luke chapter 13, Jesus speaking, he said, now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. So as if the pull of the kingdom wasn't enough, there's a push from perishing as well. Now we don't like a gospel that says, how could a loving God condemn people to hell? No, he doesn't condemn people to hell. He sent his son to rescue people from hell. You have to choose to resist the good news of the gospel. But should we fail to repent, should we fail to accept God's gracious gift of life, repent or perish is what Jesus said. Fourth reason is for the presence of God in our lives. Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, we've done our whole journey about deeper, deeper into the presence of the Holy Spirit. If we want to go deeper, it comes through this radical word called repentance. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus. Remember when uh, Jesus first met Peter, and uh, he'd heard Jesus preaching. In fact, Jesus said, Peter, can I get into your boat? Crowds are pressing. Let me sit in the boat here in the water, and I'll preach to the crowd. And then he dismissed the crowd, and he said, hey, Peter, let's go catch a fish. Peter's like, "Mm, Jesus, you're probably a way better preacher than I am. But when it comes to fishing, (sighs) but after, I suppose, listening to Jesus, he said, but because you say so, let's go. And remember, Jesus said, cast out your net. And and he said, but understand, Jesus, don't get your hopes up because I fished all night. It's better fishing at night during the day. I know there are zero fish here, nothing. 
but because you say so. He let down his net. He caught so many fish, they had to call their friends and drag them in. And right then, Peter forgot about the catch, and he suddenly realized, when Jesus is in the boat, stuff happens. If we're given this opportunity to get Jesus in the boat. It's called the Holy Spirit, God with us, who dwells within us, the gift of God in our lives. By repenting and turning. You see, repentance is the step of faith. As we accept Christ and His Lordship, He cleanses us. He prepares us for the Holy Spirit to live inside of us. Reason number five for peace. I love this. In Acts chapter 3 and verse 19 and 20, it says, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And that he may send the Messiah who's been appointed to you, even Jesus. Repent that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Have you ever, maybe people from other churches, have maybe experienced what it means to sin and be rebellious and try and convince God that you're not really sinning? And inside your heart, you're waging this warfare because you don't want to let go of this thing But you know it's wrong, but you're trying to convince the Holy Spirit is actually, and the Holy Spirit is stubbornly not changing his mind. And there's a battle going on inside, and it takes a lot of spiritual energy and effort to fight battles with the Holy Spirit. And then eventually, you release it in repentance. Because it's going to come, it's just a question of time. And then you release it, and times of refreshing come from the Lord. The human heart desperately desires peace. Peace on the inside manifests as peace on the outside. But if there's no peace on the outside, it's because there's no peace on the inside. Repent that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. In about year two or three of Outlook Church, so this is like 20 years ago, someone came to the church one Sunday and, and they gave their life to Jesus and, and it was beautiful, prayed, and, and, and uh, I went to visit the guy a couple of days later and he said, Brent, I've got, I've got to tell you my story but it's bad. It's, I mean, I'm a professional pastor, don't forget. So I said to him, don't worry, brother. There's nothing you can tell me that I haven't heard before. He said, okay, I've killed 23 people. I said, I haven't heard that before. <laughs> Turns out he was, a, he was a hitman for one of the drug gangs, and, and he was here on witness protection. He turned state process, I mean, uh, evidence, whatever. And, and yet, as he said it, it was a, a walk into his room, I mean, to his house, He's got a stack of DVDs in those days called The Blood of Jesus. A friend of ours had put this teaching together, and he was, he was listening to these DVDs about the blood of Jesus. He'd given his life to Jesus, and he said, but something's changed on the inside. See, no matter how bad we've messed up, no matter how absolutely guilty we are, peace comes when we repent. When we stop trying to justify ourselves, when we stop trying to earn our own righteousness, when we surrender, remember? Victory follows surrender. Repentance is surrendering our thinking, our worldly ways, and turning to Jesus and his ways. And then number six, because repentance pleases God. Repentance is a command from God, not a suggestion. In Acts 17, verses 30 and 31, in the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Say all people everywhere. He commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He's given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. A pastor recently was got a phone call and, and they're becoming quite common now. 
And the phone call went something like this. Hello, I believe you're a pastor. Yep. If I come to your church, will I have to change my sexual preference? And the pastor says, well, yeah, but not just your sexual preference. The way you handle your money, the way you treat people around you, the way you deal with your past, the way you deal with your present, the way you deal with your time, the way you deal with everything. You see, we're contemplating putting another sign up next to Welcome Home, maybe underneath, small print. Two rules of Outlook Church. Number one, everybody is welcome. Number two, everybody must repent. Because every single one of us here has areas in our lives we commanded to repent. Does that make sense? Jesus wants to change every part of our lives and bring it in line with his glorious kingdom. So, Let's get to question number three then. We looked at what is repentance? Why should we repent? What does repentance actually look like? And if I had to sum it up into one word, maybe I'll stick with the P's because this one also rhymes. Here it is. Repentance is practical. And the big thing that I want to break right here is for so many, the understanding of repentance has become, sorry, Lord. Repentance is not sorry, Lord. It's a practical change of attitude which changes my thinking, which changes my actions. In Luke chapter 7, verse 50, Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, what had happened here was this woman, probably a prostitute, had taken her precious jar of perfume, broken it over Jesus' feet and washed him. And he looked at this woman and the Bible said he saw her faith. I love that. I've been studying how many times Jesus said he saw their faith. We are saved by faith, but we're saved by the faith that Jesus can see. Does that make sense? You see, sometimes we think faith is this thing in my thinking. Now, there was that woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, and I love it. She said to herself, if I just touch his garment, I will be healed. That was her thinking But the thinking didn't save her. You know what saved her? Was when the thinking became action and she went through the crowd and touched Jesus and was healed. The big idea I want us to catch is we are saved by faith. We cannot be saved by works. We cannot earn our salvation. But genuine faith looks like something. Does that make sense? It has to start with faith, but real faith produces action. Action doesn't save us if it's not based on faith. But real faith produces action. Makes sense. So uh, Luke chapter 19, here's an example of Zacchaeus. Luke 19 verse 8, Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, remember he was the chief tax collector. He said, look Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. If I've cheated anyone out of anything, I'll pay him back four times the amount. And Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house. Because this man too is a son of Abraham. Not sorry Lord, no, no. Today, now, I'm paying back everyone I've cheated. There was an action. His faith-inspired action. His action, Jesus saw and said, today, salvation has come to this house. Now remember, Ephesians 2 verse 8, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not from yourself. It's a gift of God. We cannot earn salvation. Repentance doesn't earn us salvation, but real repentance is a step of faith which looks like something. In Acts 26, verse 20, first to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and then to the Gentiles, I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. Demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. John the Baptist, who came preaching that message, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near, 
He was asked in Luke chapter 3, verses 8 to 14, it says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The ax is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? The crowd asked. You've just been asked that question. Okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. I want to repent. What should I do? And I began to think, well, our normal thing would be, well, we should pray together. We should pray a prayer of repentance. Sorry, Lord, is not how John the baptizer answered. John answered, verse number 11, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. Anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you required to, he told them. Then the soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. Do you see how practical it is? Holy Spirit, how should I repent? That should be our prayer. And I'm praying that each one of us would pray that prayer. Lord, in this area of my life where I'm not seeing kingdom life and kingdom power and kingdom presence and the kingdom peace, in this area, how should I repent? What should I be doing? What about my thinking, my attitude, and my behavior should change that would release the life and power of God? James warned the early congregation in James 2 verse 18. Someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. I've shared this story before. Someone came to me a couple of years ago. They said, uh, actually they came to me to tell me they wanted to plant a church. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. Where? No, it has to be in another city. I'm like, okay, why? Now, because um, I need to get away from Rich's Bay. I said, why? I said, well, to be honest, I had a gambling problem. And now there's about 17 people who are after me for their money. I said, probably not the best reason to plant a church, but maybe just keep talking. And as he began to chat with me, he, he said, yeah, literally, I, I change phone number every week, a couple of, every couple of days, actually, because people are always wanting their money, and I'm on the run. And I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. What about, what about turning to God? No, no, I am a Christian. Well, then you need to repent. Yeah, I am sorry. And I said, no, 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 no. Repentance is not sorry, Lord. Let's do this. I want you to write down all 17 names, all 17 amounts. Hey, no, but it's a lot, Pastor. Let's just write in like 3,000 here, 10,000 here, 5,000 here. Write them all down. Now, are you ready to repent? Yep. Good, because I want you to phone each one of them. And he's like dead quiet. Now, I phone each one of them and, and tell them, that you are promising to pay them back. You haven't got the money. You'll pay them 50 rand a month until you can clear that whole debt until you've got it. And you'll be the one phoning them first of every month. He's like, mm, 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 mm. Said, well, go and think about it. Phones me back three days later. Pastor, you won't believe what happened. I said, yes, I will, because I'm a believer. What happened? And he said, all but three of them wrote off the debt straight away. They said, I can't believe you phoned me. That's how we'd given up on that debt. Now you can cancel it. The other three were amazed that I phoned them and said, yep, we do want our money back. 50 rand a month would be great if you keep on phoning us every month to prove that you haven't run away. And he said, just like that, the burden has been lifted. You see, radical repentance releases the power of the kingdom of God. If you want to walk in more kingdom life and power, then repent radically. Not, sorry, Lord, Holy Spirit, what should I do to begin walking, to drop into your kingdom 
and begin walking in kingdom life. So let me land. If you want to leave, leave now. Question four, what do we need to repent of? In a nutshell, everything and anything the Holy Spirit convicts you of, as you read his word, you hear his word preached to you, the Holy Spirit convicts you in a situation, and remember, he's the Holy Spirit. He's going to always convict you towards holiness. So as soon as he encounters unholiness in your life, he's going to convict you. He's like, Oof, okay, as much as you justify in your mind, he's the Holy Spirit, and he'll convict you. But Jesus is very serious about repentance. And as Jesus prepared his church for the end times, before he comes back, he specifically wrote to churches, and he commanded the churches, here is how I want you to repent, to stay radical and relevant for my coming. And I want to just highlight a few of them. Number one, Jesus commands us to repent of a loss of first love for Jesus. Number one, Revelations 2, 4, and 5, I hold this against you, Jesus speaking. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. I remember the days of giving my life to Jesus, that that passion, I couldn't get enough of Jesus and reading books about Jesus and I went to every church service and I went to the prayer meetings, I went to the leaders meetings, I I broke those LPs in those days because I was convinced they're all from Satan and doing all these radical things. Jesus said, don't lose your first love. Maybe you're here this morning and you've lost the fire, the passion for Jesus The greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Maybe Jesus is calling you to repent of losing your first love for him. Do the things you did at first. Change. Find that first love once again. Number two, Jesus commanded the next church, or two of them actually, to repent from holding to false teachings that endorses sexual immorality as acceptable to God. Now, in those days, they had weird kind of teachings of the Nicolaitans and this, but hear the heart of it. Revelations 2.20, it says, Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and eating food sacrificed to idols. I've given her time to repent of her immorality, but she's unwilling So I'll cast her on a bed of suffering and I'll make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely until they repent of her ways. There's a subtle form of teaching that's entered into the church. God is love, so where there's love, there must be God. And I think I'm in love with my secretary. I think she must be the one. Maybe I made a mistake. We've got a connection here. And so, and so surely this must be right if it's love. No, it's called adultery, according to the Bible. But my girlfriend and I, we're going to be married one day. We love each other so much. One day we're going to get married, but we're going to sleep together now because I love her. No, it's called fornication, according to the Bible. But God's made me this way. I'm, I'm attracted to people of, of the same sex, and we love each other, and it feels so right. It must be right. No, it's called homosexuality. But I love Jesus, but I also kind of, I've got this porn habit, but it doesn't affect everyone. No, no, it's called sin. The problem is, 
The world has crept in with us thinking, as long as it's love, surely it's of God. No, no, the Bible is quite clear, and Jesus calls us to repent. Still there? You didn't leave, so I warned you. Number three, Jesus commands the next church, repent for being spiritually dead on the inside while playing spiritual games on the outside. Remember, Revelations 3, verse 3. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I'll come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. It's called being a hypocrite. It's called going to church on a Sunday, and and you dress up in your Sunday best, and and you sing some songs, and and you, you smile for the kids, and you act like a Christian family, and then you go the rest of the week living like a pagan who's got no regard for God at all. And your kids look at this, and they think, Philip, my parents are hypocrites. And do they ever follow Jesus? No, they run from it, because they know it's a joke. Let's make sure that what we are on a Sunday in church, we are because it's real. We're not pretending on the outside. We're in love with Jesus and serving him on the inside. The fourth one is repent from lukewarm, half-commitment to Christ characterized by self-sufficiency and no dependence on Christ. Revelations 3.16, it says, So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich. I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love are rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. This is about becoming and chasing so much financial security and, and, and actually I don't need to trust God anymore. Everything's insured, everything's paid up. I've built my kingdom around financial security and every, I actually, there's no real trust in Jesus anymore because everything's taken care of. And we think I've got it and I've made it. And Jesus says, no, you're getting poorer and poorer and more wretched because you're no longer trusting me. Do you still need to trust Jesus? If not, give more. If not, step into leadership. If not, go on an outreach. Put yourself in a place where you have to trust Jesus. The goal is not to live by as little faith as possible. The goal is to live by as much faith as possible. Don't try and design your designer lifestyle into a place where you really don't have to trust God anymore. Get into the action and trust Him because that's what God rewards. And lastly, repent of worldliness. Revelations 9, 20 says, The rest of mankind who were not killed by those plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood, idols that cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. Just worldliness. Just never truly surrendered your heart to the Lordship of Jesus. Okay, you can take a breath now. Jesus said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. In Jesus' thinking, the kingdom is so radical that the repentance is actually worth every little step. If we think repentance is bigger than the kingdom, we've missed it. When we realize how glorious the kingdom is, 
Repentance is a small price to pay, a willing price to pay to taste of the kingdom. Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a man. He was out in a field one day. I don't know what he was doing. Maybe he was like digging up trees. But as he's digging, he discovers a treasure. But he realizes this treasure belongs to whoever owns this land. So he covers it up again. He goes home. He sells his beautiful mansion, sells his car, sells his boat. He sells everything to get enough money to go and buy the field because he's found the treasure. So Jesus said, that's what the kingdom is like. When we've discovered the joy and glory of the kingdom, we'll give up everything and anything because Jesus, I want to be part of that. May God give us a glorious revelation of his glorious kingdom. And may repentance be something we do by faith as we step in to a greater kingdom reality. Can you say amen to that? Why don't you stand with me, please? If you don't mind closing your eyes for a moment. Father, we stand before you, the God who loves us so much, the God who's so gracious to us. And Jesus, we recognize you as king of your glorious kingdom. This morning, we want to repent of thinking repentance is just saying sorry. Lord God, we want to live radical lives for a radical king. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would take this word and you'd protect it by your power. Holy Spirit, that you'd help us to mull over it. Holy Spirit, we want to be doers of the word, not just hearers. Holy Spirit, we want your word to pierce our hearts. We want your word to grow inside of our hearts. We ask that you would come and minister to us. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to answer this question. What do I need to do to repent, to walk in radical, repentant lifestyle so that we would see the radical kingdom of God breaking into our lives. Holy Spirit, will you make it practical? Holy Spirit, would you give us faith for it, I pray. Give us great boldness and courage to step in to more of the kingdom. Thank you, Jesus. Just with our eyes closed for a moment, I read that scripture where it said, repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you are here this morning, and maybe for the first time, you're choosing to repent, to turn to Jesus, to be a follower of Jesus, and you're saying, well, I want to get baptized. This is not an emotional thing. This is a hardcore born again. I want to start afresh. We'd love to baptize you this morning. We're ready to do that. Why don't you come and chat to me straight afterwards? If you want someone to pray with you, counsel you maybe, help you through, give you some boldness as we lay hands on you, we would love to do that as well. And so, Father, thank you for your amazing goodness and grace. Thank you, Lord God, that you're with us and for us. Thank you that you've called us to be a radical people. Thank you that as we go, we go knowing your gracious hand rests upon us. In Jesus' name.